Praise the Lord. Amen. Good to see everyone here this morning. <clears throat> Y'all look so good. I'm just trying to keep up. Amen. You guys make it hard. Praise the Lord. God is here, folks. And where He is, there is liberty. Where He is, anything is possible. Amen. Before we start our service today, I am, I am excited that today is the first day of our, our youth small group, young adults small group. Uh, and so at this time, uh, teachers, if you're anywhere from the ages of 12 to 21, I'm going to ask that you uh, follow them. If Bishop's going, yeah. <clears throat> if you can, do it, because they're getting donuts and coffee. What I'm serving up here is the bread of affliction. <laughs> we'll get you some water to choke it down with. <laughs> Amen. <clears throat> They're going through a, a series called Gates and Fences. It's, a, it's an excellent, excellent study. Uh, I, wish I'd a, I wish someone would have taught me that when I was a teenager. Amen. <clears throat> but they're going to have a good time down there. Amen. Pray for them. Continue to pray for them. They're going through things none of us have ever faced. Um, in general, in general sense, I mean, you know, we're all human beings. We've all been that age, so I mean, in that aspect, we can relate. But the specifics that they're going through in school today, the, the things that they face—suicides and gun shootings and and rampant drugs—and I mean, going through a metal detector to get to your classroom. That's just—I couldn't have even imagined that. That's some dystopian sci-fi movie. But that's the reality that we're in today. And so, I'm going to try to look over this way too, Sister Bell, but you're the only one over there. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> so, let's pray for them. Amen. <laughs> no, the youth, the youth. Uh, during our second service, we're going to have uh, all of our leaders, those that are in charge of departments, we're going to have them give a, a small presentation, uh, what their departments are, uh, what they're doing there, uh, and uh, just kind of a, a, a real brief blurb, a promo, uh, just so that everyone in the church understands uh, kind of what's going on in the church here. What's, what, what are we doing with these guys? Amen. And uh, it's a great group of people that I get to work with. Uh, our leaders are very special. Amen. And I mean that. And I appreciate each and every one of them. Let's all stand. <clears throat> we have some people that are sick today. We want to pray for Brother DeMuth. There are others uh, that uh, we've been praying for. We want to continue to pray for them. Amen. Uh, we'll pray for our services today as well. Amen. That the Lord would be loosed and that he would have his perfect will and way in this place today. Amen. Lord Jesus, you're an awesome God. You're a wondrous, glorious Savior. We delight ourselves in you today. We look to you today with hope and with faith and with confidence that you're going to do wondrous and glorious things in this place. Not because of who's here, but because of you. You're here. And for your great name's sake, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would work wonders and signs and miracles in this place. Hallelujah. In the behalf of those whose hearts are perfect toward you. 
in the behalf of your children, I pray, minister to the needs represented here in this place. Help us, Lord, as one body to enter into your presence and minister unto you to wait upon the Lord our God today with worship and praise and giving of thanks. And I pray, Lord Jesus, above all else, that your great and wondrous name would be glorified here today. And these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You can be seated today. By way of review, last week we talked about uh, everyone. Everyone belongs in the kingdom of God. Rich, poor, big, small, black, white, doesn't matter. We all belong because we're all human beings and He died for each and every one of us. Praise God. That's the only qualification I need to enter into the presence of God, to enter into His kingdom, is that He died for me. And so now, I have the opportunity to let Him pay the price for my sins, and I don't have to. What an awesome opportunity He has given us. If I'll allow Him, and that sounds weird saying it like that, if I will allow Him to hang on a cross and die in my place, I'm going to have everlasting life. I'm going to be a part of the kingdom of God. Jesus loves, He loved, He will love everyone. Every human being. Because He created every human being. He created us specifically. He created us with purpose. With potential. He loved the young, He loved the rich, He loved the poor. He didn't just say it either. He demonstrated it. He showed it. He showed it through service. All through Jesus' ministry, we see that He is set on serving others. Ministering to the needs of people. And He did that not out of guilt, not out of shame, not out of a sense of duty, but out of love, out of compassion. Because they were a sheep having no shepherd. And He called His disciples, not just the twelve, but you and I here this morning, to do the same thing. To show the love of God through service to others. Amen. Our devotionals, uh, day one, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we see the account of the little children being brought to Jesus. It immediately precedes the account of the rich young ruler. So I thought was a fascinating point. Jesus said the, fa- the manner in which the children approached Him was a model for us. Perhaps their simplicity and innocence, perhaps they, because they had no presumptions or possessions to weigh them down, uh, maybe it was their simple childlike faith as they approached Jesus. Whatever it was, That is a model for us today, that we approach Him simply, that we approach Him passionately, understanding that He loves us and that He wants the very best for us. They made the analogy of uh, little children learning to walk as they kind of stumble and bumble toward their parents, fall down and maybe crawl a little bit, but they want to get into their parents' arms. And it doesn't matter how it happens. Their parents are always happy that they were able to get from point A to where they were at on their own. It's always a beautiful thing. But you look at the process and it's... I mean, it's not silky smooth, folks. They're doing everything they can to get there and they're shuffling and stumbling and wobbling and and everything else. Falling, but they get there. As we approach the Lord Jesus Christ, we don't have to do it silky smooth. Just that we're making progress toward Jesus. 
That's what matters. Amen. And with the understanding that when we get into His arms, those arms are welcoming. Those arms are loving. Amen. Day two. I was reminded of a quote uh, that I heard a little while ago. A true friend is one who stabs you in the front. (laughs) A true friend is one who stabs you in the front, not in the back. The meaning behind that, of course, is that uh, a true friend is going to love you enough to tell you the truth, even if it hurts. Amen. We all need friends like that in our lives. People who have permission to speak directly, to speak truth into our lives, even when we don't like to hear it. And Jesus is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He will always tell us the truth. Jesus beheld the rich young ruler, meaning He observed him. He understood him. He saw him for who he was. He saw the whole picture. He knew the rich young ruler. And after that, it says that he loved him. Jesus understood everything about the rich young ruler, warts and all. And we're going to hear more about him today in the lesson. But he loved him. And he loved him enough to tell him the truth. Day three, Jesus taught and demonstrated that increased greatness in God's kingdom only comes by increased servanthood. And that's still hard for some of us to understand sometimes that the, the farther I get in the kingdom of God, the, the, the more Christ-like I become, the more opportunities I'm going to have to minister, to submit myself to others, to serve others. As we become greater, if we can use that term, in the kingdom of God, we will become more of a servant. We will become servant to more people. Our greatest and highest calling is not titles, accolades, or platforms, but servitude. I find it interesting, I continue to find it interesting, that in the epistles, most every time you'll hear their introduction as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in my mind, That's the highest accolade that anyone could ever receive is to be called a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, in the the Pentateuch, when, when the Lord refers to His servant Moses, it's always that, my servant Moses. But my servant Moses is not so. With him, I'll speak face to face. It was always His servant. What an awesome, what an awesome title to have. Day four, Jesus wasn't here to get or to receive or to promote His brand or to see that His needs were met. Now, we understand that He was fully God. But we also need to understand He was fully human. And He did have needs while He was here on the earth. If He would have stopped eating for the whole uh, time of His ministry, He would have died. He would have starved to death. If He would have stopped drinking water, He would have died of thirst pretty quickly, just like any one of us would have. He had needs. He needed to eat. He needed to sleep. He needed rest. He needed, uh, he needed friendship. He needed companionship. He experienced the full range of emotion that you and I feel. He had needs, folks. But he always, always set them aside for the needs of others. Jesus was here rather to give, to distribute, to uplift others, and to see the needs of those around him were met. The lesson goes on to say, we're not going to hear Jesus say, well done, thou good and faithful musician, good and faithful evangelist, preacher, businessman. But we'll hear Him say, good 
and faithful servant. If we are not a servant, and as I, as I read it, we can be neither good nor faithful. We have got to be a servant to others. Day 5. Jesus is interested in saving those that are sick, not those that are well. Those that have need of a physician. Those are the ones He's interested in. Anyone who recognizes in their lives a need that they cannot meet. Anyone in their, in their, who recognizes in their lives that they need a Savior. Those are the people Jesus are interested in ministering to. If we don't recognize our need, folks, there's nothing Jesus is going to do. There's nothing He can do. Except stand at the door and knock. We've got to recognize I need a Savior. Once I recognize that, He can move forward in my life. I can move forward with Him. But if everything's great and peachy keen and I don't have need of anything, there's nothing anyone can do for me. Those who will not recognize their need cannot be ministered unto. What would Jesus do? That was popular a while ago. They sold bracelets, posters, bumper stickers, the whole shebang. But it's still a good question to ask. Most people today would say that their need is financial. People come to the church. People, you know, we talked about that last week. People standing on the corner. What are they asking for? They're asking for money. They think that's the need. And sometimes the, the, the short need, the, the, the immediate need, may be financial. But I think... The true need, the overarching need, is something else. It's something else altogether. Maybe it's uh, they need a deliverance from an addiction. Maybe they need training in how to manage money. Maybe they're suffering from hurts and wounds in the past that's affecting the way that they act, the decisions that they make. And of course, everyone needs deliverance from sin. Everyone needs a Savior. That is the first and most immediate need in people's lives. They need a Savior. Now, we can't always minister to someone's financial needs. All of us have X amount of dollars to distribute. And that's it. I don't have a dollar more than that. So I can't minister to everyone's financial needs, but such as we have, we can't give them. Amen. Our scripture text today is found in Mark chapter 10, 21 and 22. Mark chapter 10, verses 21 and 22 says this, Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. He was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. And again, this month we're focusing on the topic, putting others first. As a young girl, Helen Anderson Cole dreamed of being a famous singer. She took walks through a park near her family's home in St. Louis, Missouri, as she sang at the top of her lungs. She naively hoped a Hollywood talent scout might hear her. Her family was impoverished and often lacked basic necessities of life, but Helen dreamed her singing talent would someday rescue them from their desperate situation. Helen's voice never did attract the attention of a Hollywood agent, but it did earn praise from Pastor Harry Branding. 
Helen met Pastor Branding when her family attended Pentecostal revival services at a mission hall located at 11th and Hickory Streets in St. Louis. When Helen received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, she could not speak a word of English for three days afterward. Pastor Branding recognized God's hand on this young lady's life and told her, quote, Helen, I saw you singing in front of thousands of people all around the world, unquote. Despite a life-changing spiritual experience and her pastor's encouragement to pursue God's call, Helen still felt the pull of earthly fame. When a friend told Helen that the municipal opera was holding auditions, she auditioned. She saw the cameras and the flashbulbs brighten the room and thought, at last, I've been discovered. Helen was elated to be chosen as one of the three finalists. At church the following evening, Helen was surprised when someone approached her and warned, Be sure your sins will find you out. She soon discovered that her photo had appeared on the front page of the St. Louis Globe Democrat newspaper as one of the three finalists. That night, Helen repented of her ambition for worldly fame and glory and decided to consecrate her talents to the Lord. Helen eventually became a singing evangelist. She traveled around the world sharing the gospel through preaching and song. She saw thousands receive the precious gift of the Holy Spirit. Pastor Harry Branding's prophecy was fulfilled repeatedly throughout her life. In addition, Helen was frequently invited to sing at the annual General Conference of the United Pentecostal Church International. Her children later recalled, We never saw our mother ever come to the platform to sing without the congregation coming to their feet in worship. Like many believers, past and present, Helen Anderson Cole discovered that the rewards of serving Jesus are greater than anything this world offers. Amen. And the point of that story wasn't, of course, that we can't use our gifts and talents to earn a living. Uh, That's not it at all. Obviously, we need to earn a living some way. But the point is that the gifts and talents God has given us need to be consecrated to the Lord first and foremost. Whatever He wants to do with them after that is His business. But we need to make sure that our talents, our gifts, our abilities are consecrated and dedicated in service to the King of Kings. Amen. The rich young ruler. We always get down on the rich young ruler. And we will again today a little bit. But he's got some things going for him too. He had two things going for him for sure. The first thing is he appeared to have an intense interest in spiritual matters. He approaches Jesus, a rabbi, a good teacher, with a question. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Isn't that a good question to get an answer to? I think that's the most important question we could ever uh, ask in our lives. And the answer to that question is the most important answer you're going to ever receive. So he was very interested in in the answer to that question. The other thing he had going for him is he recognized Jesus had the answer to that question. He didn't ask anyone else. He asked Jesus that question. Amen. So he approaches Jesus with excitement and eagerness. I think expecting a certain answer from him. What do I need to do? Jesus answered, obey the commandments. That's what I was hoping for. I am obeying the commandments. I've kept them from my youth. And Jesus gives him another answer. But you still lack one thing. And after he received that answer, he wasn't quite so excited. He left, deflated, defeated, grieved, 
Because that wasn't what he was expecting to hear. Not even a little bit. His answer even stunned the disciples. It went against their belief system. Their understanding of, of how God operates. When God's favor is on someone, He blesses them. When God's dissatisfaction and anger is on someone, He withholds blessing. We see it all through Scripture. What about Father Abraham? Abraham was blessed, mightily blessed of God because he was God's friend, because he was in a covenant relationship with God. What about Job? If you read through the book of Job, they have the same understanding. When you serve God, everything's great. God blesses and protects and, and promotes. It's the wicked that God crushes and turns his back on and sends curses. When Job became afflicted, he was confused. He didn't understand what was going on. His friends thought they understood. Job, you got sin. That's the only possible explanation here. But that wasn't it at all. There was something else going on behind the scenes. And that, sorry to take so long on this, uh, that kind of goes into the, the question again of the problem of evil. I, the question again being, if God is all powerful and all just and all loving, why is there evil in the world? It's a valid question. But we need to understand sometimes, and Job is a perfect example, we don't always understand why He allows things in our life. We don't always understand the workings and the, 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 the plan, the whole plan of God. And we may never understand the whole plan of God until we get to heaven. I may not understand why I'm going through what I'm going through ever in this life. I may not understand. There was, there was a time in my life that uh, our, me and my wife's life, we couldn't have kids. And we had, we had people that we worked with. They, were, they lived like the devil. And they got pregnant just like that. I couldn't understand it. I'm going to give this child a Christian home. I'm going to raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. I'm going to dedicate them to you, God. Why would you withhold a child from us and give this person? She doesn't even want the child. I still don't have a good answer for that. But I, I don't understand the whole purpose of God in that situation. Maybe He needed me to cry out. Maybe He needed me to get to a place where I needed Him more desperately. I mean, it could be a thousand and one things. But at the end of the day, folks, He's God. He's God and He operates however He wants to operate according to His character. He will not violate His character. So don't worry about that. There is evil in the world. He is perfectly just. He is perfectly holy. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. And yet He allows evil in the world for purposes I can't always pretend to understand. But they serve His purposes, folks. It serves His purposes somehow. 
my responsibility and my position in all of this is to trust Him. I've got to trust God. No matter what. Job had to come to the same realization. I've got to trust God. Though He slays me, yet will I trust in Him. So this answer that, that the rich young ruler receives continues to challenge people even today. Especially people who live in affluent societies. The name it and claim it. Blab it and grab it. Jesus is here for to take care of everything that I want. When I serve Jesus, He's, he's at my beck and call, folks. All i got to do is, I need some more money. I need this. And He's going to hop to it. God forbid. That's not the God I serve, folks. I don't serve some whip pop on a chain. Answering, answering what I say come. No sir, no way, no how, uh-uh. That's not the God I serve. I serve Jesus Christ. He's God. He's in charge. He tells me what's going on. He tells me what I'm going to do. And I like it like that. I think that's a good place to be. Mark 10.18 says, Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one. That is God. In this statement, Jesus is challenging the young man to consider what he really believed about the one he was addressing. It reminds me of a, another place in Scripture where him and the disciples are gathered together talking and he asks the disciples, who do they say I, the Son of Man, am? And everyone's showing out different answers. Some say you're Elias. Some say you're... you're uh, John the Baptist, risen from the dead. Some say you're this prophet, that prophet. And then he turns it around. But who do you say that I am? And all there was at that point was utter silence. Not a word. Except for one person. The person God revealed the answer to. He actually was God. So it was meet and proper to address Him as good. Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one that is God. He was God. He's the only one that is good. That was a proper address. But Jesus wanted to make sure. Do you understand who it is you're talking to? Do you know who I am? We're going to talk about in the next message how important it is to know who God is. We've got to have a good understanding of who God is. Who is the one that we serve? Who do you say that I am? If we don't comprehend who Jesus really is, we're going to be unable to fully commit everything in our lives to Him. When Jesus asks of us the same thing He asked of the rich young ruler, Go, sell all that thou hast. You'll have treasure in heaven. Come, take up your cross and follow Me. When He presents that to us, I don't understand who Jesus is. I just think He's a good teacher. Am I going to do that? 
Probably not. But if He's God, if He's God, then I have no problem doing that. His reaction revealed he didn't really know who Jesus was. Just a good teacher. Jesus said he needs to keep the commandments. All things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? He proudly proclaimed that he indeed kept everything. Kept the commandments. Kept the Mosaic Law. Maybe he was looking for an attaboy. You ever get an attaboy award? Hey, aren't they special? <clears throat> attaboy, buddy. Good job. But even though he had kept everything, there seemed to still be some dissatisfaction in the young man's life. Some void, some emptiness. What lack I yet? The question seems to suggest that there was still something missing in his life. I'm still lacking something. What is it? A lifetime of keeping the commandments, youth, wealth, power, still left him looking for more. That was true then. It's still true today. You can pursue everything, literally everything this world can offer. You can have all of it. And there are a few men out there that have a good portion of it. But their personal lives are a hot dumpster fire. They're a mess. What lack I yet? Mark 10 and 21, he gives the answer. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatever thou hast and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. Jesus loved him enough to tell him the truth. The scriptures teach us that faithful are the wounds of a friend. The kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Jesus was trying to meet the need. Not the need as it was expressed. Not the need that the rich young ruler came with. The actual need. The real need. As the need truly was. That's the need that Jesus ministered to. You may come to the Lord with a request. You're going through something. And this is what I need from you, God. And you get something completely different from Him. Trust in God. Trust in God to know what you need more than you do. Amen. Your heart is deceitful. Your heart will lie to you. Your emotions cannot be trusted. Your emotions are real. You experience them. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't make too many decisions based off of them. Don't follow your heart, folks. It will lead you astray. Follow the Word of God. Follow the, the, the counsel of the Holy Ghost in your life. What was the need then? Jesus gave him the answer to the question he was seeking. 
He told him exactly, specifically, what was lacking in the young man's life. He didn't hold back. He answered it perfectly. This is what you lack yet. You're right. You do lack something. And this is it. You're bound by the tyranny of things. That's the need. He was consumed with maintaining and growing his portfolio. And Jesus was offering him freedom from this particular form of bondage. We like to think in the United States that the more money we have, the more freedom we have. That is not necessarily true. It could be. It could be true. But oftentimes it's not. Because we start loving that thing. We start loving money. We start loving what it can do for me. It's a tool, folks. It's a tool. We can use the tool for the kingdom of God. We can use that tool for His purposes. We don't have to be bound by it. We don't have to be afraid of it. I don't have to live in fear that I'm going to become too wealthy and I'm going to backslide. I don't have to live in fear that I'm going to be too poor and I'm going to backslide because I can't trust God now. I commit my my life to Jesus Christ and wherever He leads me. If He blesses me, fantastic. If He blesses you, praise the Lord. God bless you, sir, ma'am. I'm happy. I'm glad. Just keep it. Keep your priorities right. That's all I'm going to tell you. Keep your priorities straight. Keep God first in your life. Don't fixate on money. Don't worry about money. Don't live in fear, folks. That's not of God. Worry is not of God. My Bible tells me He's going to take care of me if I keep pursuing Him. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added freely unto you. I don't have to worry about that. Revelation 3.17 gives an example of those who think they're rich and have everything they need. But Jesus gives a completely different picture of it. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Is that most people today? And yet, knowest thou, knowest that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. You don't have anything of value. You have nothing. You think you have everything. But you have nothing. Because nothing, nothing of this world is worth anything. It's temporal. It's going to be destroyed. That beautiful brand new car that we can buy and polish it and clean it every day. Vacuum it out. Take good care of it. In 10-15 years, probably, statistically speaking, it's going to be in a junk heap. Crushed up in a nice little square. Here's the love of your life. $572.37 worth of scrap. Give or take. But if we invest in the kingdom of God, folks, that's eternal. It lasts forever. Amen. Mark 10.22 goes on to say, And he was sad at that saying, 
and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Obviously, money is not the root of all evil, but loving it, inordinate affection for it. That's what gets us into trouble. Love for money and material gain has certainly led to countless sorrows, ruined lives, and lost souls. I've seen it. I've seen it personally. I've heard stories. I've heard train wrecks of stories of people's lives who pursued it above everything else. They lost their wives, their husbands, their children, their families. They lost everything. But they attained the goal. They were a success. And they got there and they blew their brains out. How about that? You get to the top of the ladder and realize you're climbing the wrong ladder. We must heed Jesus' call to total surrender. Total surrender. Keep Him first in our lives. Jesus offered to us the antidote to materialism, greed, avarice, the tyranny of things. Sell everything and thou shalt have. Sell everything and thou shalt have. I'm not asking you to go do that specifically. Okay? But in our hearts, the way we live our lives, we need to make sure that those possessions we have are in the hands of Jesus Christ. They are His possessions. We are stewards. We are stewards of everything that we have. And we can enjoy them for a time, folks, and we can enjoy them guilt-free. He has placed that in in your possession. Use it. Use it for the glory of God. Enjoy it. But when He wants it back, let Him have it back. It's His. That analogy of an open hand is so apt. Keep it open. Let Him place things in. Let Him take things out. If I keep it closed, well, He can't get it. He can't get it anyway. But I think He can't. But more importantly, he can't put anything in there. It's closed. I can't receive anything more from him. When I keep it in his hands, because it's his anyway, it needs to stay his. My life is his. This body is his. The breath that I breathe is his. It's all His. If God wants to give me something, praise God. If God wants to take something back and and redistribute it somewhere else, it's His to do with it as He pleases. I ought not feel embarrassed or angry or upset or jealous or anything. Thank you for the time I had it. I'm glad I don't have to be responsible for it anymore. Praise God. That's one less thing I have to give an account for. Sell everything and thou shalt have makes no sense to us unless, again, we can adjust our perspective and see things as God sees them. We need to view these things from an eternal perspective. 
when we see things from a temporal perspective, they look way different. And these things don't make sense. These commandments of the Lord, these characteristics that God is trying to instill into us, they don't make a lot of sense. But if we can see them from His perspective, folks, they make perfect sense. It's the right thing to do. Many in our world suffer the same way as the rich young ruler. This is not a one-time deal, folks. We work overtime and pursue side jobs so we can afford more stuff or make payments on the things we already have. This, of course, leaves us too exhausted to pray or spend time studying God's Word. If you don't have time or if you're too tired to pray and study Scripture, folks, then you're too tired. You're just too busy. Lose something. And I say this as a friend. I say this as your pastor. I'm speaking plainly here. If you don't have time to pray, you need to kick something to the curb. Get rid of something. And make time to pray. If you don't have time to study Scripture, you're too tired to do that, kick something to the curb. Find the time to do the things that are important. These things are the most important things we can do with our time. We need to make time for these things. If you're too busy, then get rid of something else and start praying and start studying your Bibles. Amen. You can talk about that if you want. But uh, I think I'm on pretty solid ground there. We pack our children's schedules with games, tournaments, and recitals, hoping it will one day earn them a coveted college scholarship so they can get a great paying career. And if those activities happen to squeeze out Sunday service, midweek Bible study, family devotions, God will understand. Because they need a life. Again, I'll speak plainly. Our priorities matter. And we can say we love Jesus. And we can say He's, He's my King and my God. But if I act something different, if I keep choosing something else over God, is He my God? No. Something or someone else is my God. And I can only have one. And you can only have one. You're not going to serve God and mammon. You're going to serve one, and you're going to hate the other. Choose Jesus, folks. Choose Jesus. With everything in me, I implore you, choose God above everything else. That's the best thing you can do with your time. It's the best thing you can do for you. Let, let's, let's take it from a purely uh, pragmatic perspective here. What's best for you? Choosing Jesus is what's best for you. That's what's best for you. Anything out there, you may get some short-term gains. You may, you may see yourself accelerating faster out there than in here. I'll grant you that. But where does it lead, folks? What's the end result? What's the goal? What's the plan? 
I ask my kids that all the time. What's the plan here? What do you what do you hope to accomplish with this? I don't know. It seemed right at the time. I could I can have a little bit of compassion because I've been there too. I remember thinking, this has got to be the right way to go. And it ends up in a train wreck. But choose Jesus. To speak freely, if bass boats, motorcycles, golf clubs, other possessions, or anything or anyone for that matter, consistently keeps us from doing the will of God, we need to reconsider the relationship we have with those items or people. Because God has to come first. God may want to be giving you a gift that you have no room to receive. Consider that for a moment. You're all full up. You've got too much stuff. My hand is full and closed. My heart is full and closed. Jesus was asking of the rich young ruler something he had already done. You got to respect the Lord because he always leads from the front. Always. He's always out front, encouraging us onward. Come to where I'm at. He's not telling you to go there, he's telling you, come here. Philippians 2, 5-8 through 8 says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus willingly gave everything so that we could have everything. He was never, ever once concerned with His needs, His cares or concerns, and they were legitimate and they were real while He was on the earth. He was fully human, folks, and He had needs just like everyone else did. But He set them aside continuously because He wanted to meet the needs of those around Him. And Jesus wants us and He expects us to follow His example. Amen. Moving on. Mark 10, 23-25. Jesus looked round about and saith unto His disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at His words. But Jesus answereth again and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. This is a quote by J. Dwight Pentecost in his book, The Words and Works of Jesus Christ. He says this about this passage of Scripture. The popular explanation that the eye of a needle referred to a small gate within a large, the large city gate has no historical basis. Christ was not showing that it is difficult for one who trusts and riches to enter the kingdom. He was showing that it was utterly impossible. Unquote. It is impossible for anyone who trusts and riches anything else other than Jesus Christ, to enter into the kingdom of God. We cannot trust in God and in mammon in our minds and expect to enter into heaven. We can't. 
you won't. It's one or the other. You serve Jesus with your life and make it, or you serve anything or anyone else and you don't. Those are the two choices we have, the straight and narrow or the broad and wide. Those are it. There's no third option here. All roads do not lead to heaven. One road leads to heaven. And that's it. Jesus said, I am the door. Any man that comes to the Father will do it through me. That's it. If we don't have Jesus, if our faith and our hope and our trust and our confidence is not in Him, folks, we're not going to make it. And the disciples were astonished by these words. Again, they believed that wealth and power were signs of God's favor and blessing. If someone like the rich young ruler who was blessed by God and faithfully kept the law of Moses was in danger of losing out, what about me? I'm just a poor fisherman. Where do I fit into this? Jesus continues in verse 27. Jesus looking upon them saith, With men it is impossible, but with God. But not with God, for with God all things are possible. In other words, you're not going to make it on your own. You need God. You need a Savior. I need a Savior. God can save those bound in addictions and immoral lifestyles. God can deliver from demons and devils. He can deliver from any circumstance and situation. If we'll allow Him into it. If we'll ask Him for the help. He can do that. He wants to do that. He can save to the uttermost. I don't care what the situation is. He can save me. I don't care what kind of a dumpster fire my life is in right now. He can put it out. He can restore it. He can make it beautiful again. Only He can. Only He can do that. But He can do that. And He will do that if I'll let Him do that. God can also save those bound by abundance and material wealth. They all lead to the same place, folks, away from God. I believe God wants to bless His people. I believe that. But if we let those blessings take precedence, folks, if I let, if I let His blessings take precedence in my life, I hope He loves me enough to take them away. It's going to hurt. I may kick against the pricks. But at the end, folks, I need to be saved. I need to make it to heaven. I don't want to miss the rapture in a great big mansion and 18 cars in my garage mahal. Who cares? Who cares if I have all that stuff and I miss out? Have you thought, have you considered what would happen if you knew the rapture took place and you were still here? How, would you, how you would feel? The emotions, the, the thoughts that would be going through your mind. Because all of us sitting here, we know, folks. We know. We know He's coming back. 
We, we knew this. We knew we had to be ready. We knew when he comes, he needs to find us in the field, working. We knew that, and we missed it. Can you imagine how you're going to feel? I've thought about that time and, time and time again. I, don't, I would be beside myself. What in the world? What am I going to do now? There's nothing I can do anymore. It's done. It's, it's over. I missed it. I know, I know there's eschatological loopholes people want to throw in. I don't know if those are there or not. I know, I know for a fact that salvation is available now, today. That's what I know for sure. And if I miss this, I don't know if I have a hope. Maybe, but I don't know. I know I have a hope today. And I need to be ready. And if something's getting in the way of me being ready, Lord Jesus, move it aside. Get it out of my way. I'd rather He did that then let me stay in my sin, my error, and I miss out. We are to enjoy every blessing that God provides us and do it guilt-free. Again, just make sure it has its proper place. God maintains the eminence, the preeminence in our lives. And when He wants it back, let Him have it back and be thankful. Be thankful for the time you had it. Amen. Everything we give for the kingdom will be rewarded. Mark 10 and 30 says, But he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. Amen. There's a lot more in there than just that, but whatever we give in service to the king will not go unnoticed. It will not go unrewarded. He'll never be your debtor, folks. Not ever. He's no man's debtor. You give something in service to Him, He provides back. Praise God. He doesn't have to. He hung on a cross and died for me. I'm not looking to get anything back. When I put my tithes and offerings in the, in the, in the plate, I'm not doing that so that I'll be blessed financially. I'm doing that because I love Him. And I want to serve Him. And I want to, I want to submit myself to Him. He tells me in Scripture to do that. It pleases Him. I want to please him, folks. He's done so much for me. I cannot tell it all. Mark 10 and 21. Again, Jesus beholding him, loved him, and saith unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatever thou hast, give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Come, take up the cross, and follow me. We cannot carry a cross and the baggage of this world at the same time. You're not strong enough. You're not strong enough. You're going to set one of them aside. Again, I urge you, set the things of this world aside. Maintain your hold on the cross. You're going to abandon one of them. God is calling us, urging us this morning to abandon the things of this world in favor of our cross. He asks a question in Mark chapter 8, 36. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Getting back to that question of the rapture. I could be king of the world and it wouldn't matter one bit. 
It wouldn't matter at all. I could have everything I ever wanted. And the rapture happens and I'm still standing here. None of it matters to me anymore, folks. It's all dust and ashes now. I want to see Jesus. I want to spend my eternity with Him. The past 2,000 years of Christian history are filled with stories of individuals who are willing to do what the rich young ruler was not. Give up seemingly everything for the sake of the gospel. From Jesus' first disciples to present-day missionaries, many have been willing to even lay down their lives, and are willing, even today, to lay down their lives so the message of Jesus could be preached. Not every story of heroic sacrifice happened in a faraway land. Many have played out in our local church, right here. And in churches near ours. Many of the strongest apostolic Pentecostal congregations were founded by men and women who worked long hours by day to support their families and then spent evenings and weekends preaching, teaching, and reaching for lost people in their communities. As a result, families were saved, lives were changed, and spiritual legacies were established. Other believers gave up what seemed to be great opportunities because they feared it would compromise their commitment to Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews summed up the stories of the unsung and mostly unknown heroes of the faith by noting that the world was not worthy of them. Furthermore, he added that they all obtained a good report through faith. They may not have had wealth or worldly fame, but they will receive the commendation of the King of Kings who will one day say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I pray that that's our epitaph as well. At the end of time, when we stand in His presence, that we will hear Him say that as well. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. I'm looking forward to hearing those words, folks. And I would love very much to be standing right next to you as He tells you the same thing. Amen. Let's all stand.